Thank you for joining us for the sermon podcast of Northwest Presbyterian Church in Dublin, Ohio. Our church exists to celebrate the gospel through Christ-centered study, worship, and prayer, to connect in community through fellowship, accountability, shepherding, and outreach, and to love our city through sacrificial giving of time, treasure, and talents so that it might flourish as a place where Jesus is known. For service times and more information about our church, visit npcdublin.org. And now, Pastor Dave Shooter. So Psalm 91, uh, um, so many personal connections to Psalm 91 in, in my own life. Um, you know, as, as a Wheaton College student and, uh, you know, the um, the story of Jim Elliott and the other missionaries uh, who had Wheaton connections who were martyred in the 50s uh, and Elizabeth Elliott's um, biography of her husband, Jim, which takes the title uh, In the Shadow of the Almighty and records that story is one connection. Uh, and then another connection uh, goes back to June 2003 uh, when I had a full head of hair and standing on a summer morning uh, in uh, Wisconsin at Volk Army Airfield, uh, standing in front of a battalion of soldiers uh, in the early morning. No one had slept the night before. Uh, we'd been sequestered into a gym, uh, and there was an ominous moment when a military policeman came in and stood uh, in front of the door so that no one could leave the gym. Uh, we were on our way to Afghanistan, and uh, the guards were there so that no one would try to uh, go over the fence, as it were. Uh, so no one had slept the night before, not only because of that, but because of the frequent inspections of all of our gear, uh, uh, you know, to make sure that no one was trying to smuggle contraband into Afghanistan. And uh, so the morning couldn't come soon enough. Uh, the sun arose. If you have been in Wisconsin during the summer, you know that Wisconsin summer mornings are amazing. They're wonderful. Uh, and my boss asked me to read Psalm 91 in front of the unit. Now, in 2003, Psalm 91, which is sometimes called the soldier's psalm, uh, uh, was popular among U.S. forces. And there was a story, uh, apocryphal in part or in whole, that during World War I, an officer in the 91st Infantry Division uh, had given soldiers uh, printed copies of the 91st Psalm. You see the 91 connection in there. And that according to the legend, uh, no troops were injured as a result. Now, that's just not true. There's a, a, a memorial to casualties from the 91st Infantry Division, which is findable. Uh, but my boss latched onto that. And given that that most troops find chaplains about as essential to their work as accordions. I decided, uh, you know, to always take the advantage of, of reading the Bible and giving the chance. And so it's, it wasn't that funny. Um, <laughs> um, I, I took the opportunity to read Psalm 91 whenever given the chance. And uh, I read Psalm 91 a lot that year. And the church has read Psalm 91 a lot for 
millennia because Psalm 91 has comforted God's people, especially in times of danger. One Old Testament commentator uh, suggested that the psalm was originally for Israelite soldiers undertaking military campaigns, facing the danger of the battlefield, but also the danger of the camp in which diseases and plagues could come as a result of hygiene issues and challenges. And, uh, and that might well be the case. Martin Luther drew on Psalm 91 to advise doctors and caregivers uh, that during actual plagues, quote, whoever serves the sick for the sake of God's gracious promise has great assurance that he in turn will be cared for. God himself shall be his attendant and his physician. Do you not know that you are surrounded by thousands of angels who watch over you in such a way that you can indeed trample on the plague as is written in Psalm 91? And Luther quote, but he is of course referring to verse two. I will say to my Lord, uh, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. Now, before we look at this promise of deliverance, I need to ask you the question that I had to ask myself and which Kim asked during the, the week, which is, do you feel the tension of Psalm 91? There is, there is a tension in Psalm 91. Two commentators ask the question, if in Psalm 91, God overpromises comfort, but under delivers in real life. You don't need to be a Bible expert to feel the tension. We lived through a pandemic. As of October 2021, uh, I, I looked it up. The World Health Organization estimated that between 80,000 and 180,000 healthcare workers uh, could have died from COVID-19. And that was in 2021. Um, so they, they suggested a median scenario number of 115,000 deaths from plague. Surely some of them were believers. 7,000 U.S. service members and over 8,000 contractors have died in the post-9-11 wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. That does not include, surely, the tens to hundreds of thousands of innocent casualties. Surely some of them were Christians. Surely some of them read Psalm 91 before their last patrol. The missions agency, Open Doors, uh, reports that 56,021 Christians were killed for their faith last year. 90%, 90% in Nigeria. Think about that. But just listen to our pastoral prayers week by week. Cancer, joblessness, relationship ambushes. They're all here. They're all here. Do you feel the tension? The tension is a huge challenge for believers. If you are a pastor, an elder, a deacon, a small group leader, a women's ministry leader, uh, it will be in those points of tension that you sit down with a believer who has put his or her faith in God, ha has trusted God, is experiencing a big challenge, and asks the same question uh, that the commentators do. Has God somehow overpromised but underdelivered? Psalm 91. How is Psalm 91 true comfort for us? Well, let me suggest a couple of different lessons. First, communion, personal fellowship with 
the God of refuge, quality, comfort in the extensiveness of God's refuge, and then commitment, the promise of the God of refuge. Let's unpack these because we need to understand how God is calling his people to have comfort in him. First communion, personal fellowship with the God of refuge. Parents or friends of young children on summertime walks, have you had this experience of going for a walk with a young child on a bright day and that child is trying to stomp on your shadow? Have you ever, or is it, was it just my gifted and talented children who did this? You know, they walk and they try to stomp on the, on the shadow. Well, the thing about shadows is you have to be present in order for your shadow to be cast. You can't cast your shadow in absence. Psalm 91 begins with a series of amazing claims. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Uh, The Most High God is immediately present to his people so close as to cast a shadow. And this shadow casting most high God is nearby in his almightiness. And we should understand for a moment what almightiness describes. J.I. Packer helpfully gives us a short definition uh, which describes God's almightiness this way, that God is, quote, present everywhere in the fullness of all that he is and all the powers that he has, and needy souls praying to him receive the same fullness of his undivided attention. It's an an amazing thought that God is everywhere present with all of his power and is able to give the same amount of care and attention to every creature on the planet at at the same moment. I mean, how how might we illustrate this? Well, uh, imagine that prayer happened via a hotline and you had to call a number like you do when you call the airlines. And you pray and you get the prompt and say, you know, thank you for praying. Uh, You are now, there are 2.7 billion people ahead of you in queue And your estimated wait time to pray is 47,000 years. Uh, If you leave a callback number, you won't lose your place in queue, and the Lord will be back to you as soon as he can. Well, that'd be hugely frustrating. But because God is almighty, he can be immediately present to every person at the same time with all of his power and attention. All 300 people in this room right now were we to all pray simultaneously, God would engage with us with absolutely the same amount of care, love, power, and responsiveness. It's amazing. But I I find it worshipfully compelling that the first time in Scripture that God introduces himself as almighty is not, for instance, at the creation account. Not in Genesis 2, where the Lord and Adam are engaging. Uh, It is not in Genesis 2, the Lord does not introduce himself to Adam as the Almighty, the Shaddai. Adam, I am the Almighty, I made all this. Nor, uh, for example, is it to Noah, I, the Shaddai, 
the Almighty will judge the earth by flood. No, the first time so far as I can tell where the Almighty introduces himself as Almighty is to a 99-year-old man whose wife could not have children. Carrying the decades-long heartbreak of infertility to whom God promised a son, a son from whom a nation would descend, a, a, a nation from whom a Savior would descend for the world, an almighty work of salvation. So far as I can tell, this is the moment when Abraham was 99 years old and the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And the promise unfolds from there. It's in this announcement, this confirmation of the work of salvation, which seems and is so far beyond the power of human comprehension and of human manipulation and even of, uh, of, of human imagination at this point at year 99 of Abraham's life that the Lord comes to them, not for the first time, but comes to them for the first time and says, I am the Almighty. I, I am all-powerful and all-present to you in this problem that cannot be solved because I am all-powerful and I'm all-present to work the solution which humanity is not able to solve, which is the salvation of sinners. I am the Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Important to the backstory is that Abraham is as sinful and doubting and manipulative as any person who lived before or after. God called Abraham, and Abraham worshipped other gods. Abraham believed God, and then he didn't. And then he did. And then he didn't. It kind of sounds like this past week, right? You know, he, he believed God, and then he struggled. Abraham didn't deserve this personal fellowship. This is my point. He didn't deserve this personal fellowship with the Almighty. God's covenant to him came by grace. As for Abraham, so for the psalmist, surely no less sinful than Abraham, the psalmist celebrates this communion with God, which is an outcome of God's grace. I just want you to think about this for a moment. When was the last time that you considered communion with God one of your privileges? When was the last time that you took inventory of your life and you thought about the, the blessings and the challenges? And in the list of blessings, you contemplated that by grace, you have communion, you have fellowship, that you are relationally proximate to God Almighty. So writes John, Jesus' close friend, the apostle we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy might be complete. The Most High, who is Almighty, is also by grace your Father. God's grace towards us is all the more amplified because we know even more than Abraham could have of Christ's saving work. By faith, we have fellowship with the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit. The, the Apostles' Creed, when we say it, is not just mashing up theology words. 
when we confess that we believe in God the Father Almighty. So introducing the church to the amazing privilege of personal communion with the Most High, the mutual sharing, John Owen writes in an earlier generation, of those good things that delight all those in fellowship, our communion with God lies in his giving to himself to us and our giving ourselves and all that he requires to him. Psalm 91 encourages us to count and cultivate this communion. How are you doing with that? Do you, do you celebrate that? Do you seek it? Do you nurture it? Do you read your Bibles? Do you prioritize worship? Do you access the means of grace regularly? Or do other things which seem like privileges creep in and you count those privileges higher? You'll never have a higher privilege than communion with God. Summer, and maybe the change of schedule gives us a great opportunity to further cultivate the privilege. But we need to move on to see the, the quality of the comfort that comes to us in the extensiveness of God's refuge. Now, commentators point out that in uh, verses 1 and 2, the psalmist is speaking for himself. He's using the first person, the I. And in verses 3 to 13, the voice changes to second person, which is you. So now he's talking to uh, readers, describing the quality of the extensive comfort that God offers. He offers refuge from unseen danger. Snares are intentionally hidden traps. Pestilence is unseen. Terrors in the night. If the psalmist's background is a military campaign, campaign uh, Israelite soldiers would know of the fear of nighttime raids on camps. They are scary. Generally, fears amplify at night. Do you ever worry about something all night only, only to wake up and realize that, that you got all wound up about not much? And of course, pestilence in the darkness, destruction at noonday. We don't need to rehearse the pandemic experience. But the promise, he will deliver you. He will cover you with his pinions. Under his wings, you will find refuge. He's able to shelter. He's faithful to shelter like a shield and a buckler. A, a, you know, a big shield and a buckler, I guess, is a little shield that you'd wear on your arm. I don't know much about buckling. Uh, I thought it was a belt thing, but so I looked it up. Um, but it's a picture of being protected out there with a the big shield and being protected in here with a little shield. Which I guess, again, if you're an Israelite soldier, would have particular meaning, right? Like you can protect from the big spear out here, and you can protect from the little jabby sword in here. His capacity to provide refuge is great. And, and he does it personally. Uh, some years ago, I think Chris was there, not to put him on the spot, but I think you might have been there. We heard Tim Keller preach on Psalm 91, um, and he, uh, he was describing uh, an, a, a discovery from a recent, I think, forest fire out west, maybe a wildfire in California, where the firefighters described coming upon a, a mother bird 
who had been consumed by the fire spread out over chicks that were still alive. That's the picture of being protected by the wings. That's the gospel, isn't it? A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near to you. You will only look with your eyes and the recompense of the wicked. Recompense is the key word describing God's justice on the wicked. The Almighty, who is everywhere present with unlimited power, delivers his people from his own judgment. Which brings us into the tension of Psalm 91. Recall the tension. What about those whom God doesn't seem to deliver? Should we assume that they were among the wicked? That they were receiving their recompense? Well, I mean, we we wouldn't assume that probably, but we sometimes feel that when it's us. If we think that faith uses Psalm 91 like a lucky rabbit's foot, so that the promises must immediately apply to every believer, then we're going to be spiritually exposed when the fowler's snare grabs our ankle, when the pestilence is graded stage four. In fact, if we do that, we'll be reading the Bible like the devil, which is a bad way to read the Bible. Because verses 11 to 13 might sound familiar. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. Satan's quote of Psalm 91 to Jesus in the temptation. In early Matthew and in early Luke, Luke chapter 4, if you want to look it up, Satan takes Jesus to Jerusalem, sets him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, Throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. Why is, you know, why is the deceiver quoting Psalm 91 to the Lord of Lords? Jesus quotes scripture back. It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 6, 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. Massah was the place in the Exodus where Israel grumbled against the Lord. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? By the way, someone should write a biblical theology about the grumbling of God's people. Because it is all throughout Scripture, and it never goes well for God's people. So one of you can take that up. I don't have time. But at Massah, the question was, would God provide for, would he save his people? Israel, the nation, sometimes conceptualized collectively as God's son, failed that test and failed so many more. They failed to believe that God would provide. They failed to believe that, they, that God would save. It was a breakdown of belief in his almightiness. And so Satan lays 
the same challenge before Jesus. If you really are the Son of God, if you are all who you say you are, then just a little jump off the, the temple, just a little test. Let's just see how the angels do. Psalm 91 says, it's biblical, Jesus. Psalm 91 says that the angels will show up. This is not the Messiah's Messiah moment. His moment will come when the son must trust the father with his life. For Jesus to leap off the temple is for Jesus to leap away from the cross, to leap away from the tomb, to leap away from the resurrection, to leap away from his mission. But it's through the trial, cross, tomb, resurrection that the son will prove that the most high is his refuge. And, and here's the thing I need you to get. If you've tuned out of the sermon, I need you to come back. It, it's because Jesus is faithful all the way through that God's promises at the end of Psalm 91 become true for us. Commitment, the promise of the God of refuge we have another voice change in verse 14. If you have an English Bible open, you might see uh, that the text puts quotes around verses 14, 15, and 16. That's to indicate to you uh, that the voice has changed again to now God speaking. God speaks of a person. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. Now, let's do a little thought exercise here. If you put your name in these verses, how confident would you be that God would deliver you. Just try it. You're like, no, Dave, you try it. <laughs> okay, I'll try it. Because Dave holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. Hmm. Pretty good, except for Monday and Tuesday and that time on Wednesday and most of Thursday. Because... Dave holds fast to me in love except for those times he completely melts down. Less certain. Because Dave holds fast to me in love except for that time that he's short with Kim. Less certain him. Because Dave calls to me, I will answer him. Sure wish he'd call to me more. Friends, if you're still here, we're on the precipice of glorious comfort. If you are not yet a Christian, I need you to hear this next because this is the heart of the Christian message. The heart of the Christian message is that for all of the if-then statements that I can't keep or that you can't keep, Jesus keeps them. Try the verses with Jesus' name in the Father's voice. 
Because Jesus holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect Jesus because he knows my name. When Jesus calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with Jesus in trouble. I will rescue Jesus and honor Jesus. With long life, I will satisfy Jesus and show Jesus my salvation. It works all the way through. If by faith in Christ, you and I are united by the Holy Spirit to Jesus, Jesus' wholehearted love and obedience to his Father, his holding fast to his Father, his intimacy with his Father, his obedience in the face of temptation, it counts as our holding fast. Jesus does the holding fast. He knows the Father intimately. But through Jesus, the promises of the Father's deliverance, protection, answering, presence, rescue, honor, and the longest of all possible lives, forever life, eternal life, they become ours. But of course, where Satan wants Jesus to jump and see if the angels will catch him, God makes these promises good through Jesus' death and resurrection. This is where the tension resolves. That God's refuge for us is not a guarantee of deliverance from challenge. But as for Jesus, so for us, God is a refuge and deliverer through the challenge. So what I want for you and for me as a result of this is that our faith in Jesus will be renewed. Or that you'll put your faith in him for the first time. And then we will see how stunningly hopeful Psalm 91 can be. Because Psalm 91 did not protect every soldier from harm's way. At least not from earthly harm's way. But, but the beauty of Elizabeth Elliot choosing Psalm 91 as the title for her report of Jim's ministry is she understood that though he died in the service of the Lord, in a moment where you might think, well, if anyone's going to be protected, it's going to be that guy. She understood that the protection was greater. She understood that the protection was deeper. She understood that in Christ, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty today and forevermore. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon podcast. Subscribe to our podcast and for more information about our church, our values, mission, and ministries, visit npcdublin.org.